Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. James Davis made a statement. I happened to be talking to him this week on the phone, and, and I said, James, did you make this, or did Elmer Towns make this statement? Because I heard it, and it resonated in my spirit. And if you ever hear something and say, man, that, that's, that's good, that's good. And the statement is this, and this is my title. It's too long to put in the paragraph. Great people do not think that they're great. They just go out and do great things. I mean, all of us have been around a lot of wannabes. You know, wannabes, they like to tell you how great they are. They want to tell you how wonderful they are, but the reality is great people don't think they're great. They just go out and do great things. Pastor Morocco from King's Cathedral in Maui, they've planted several hundred churches throughout the world. And and, in our uh, conference this week, or last week, he shared a scripture. And it's a story that, very familiar with and it tied in with this thought great people don't think they're great they just go out and do great things see this passage we're going to read doesn't tell us the guy's name don't know how old he is exactly but we know he did something great with just a little bit When he did it, he didn't realize he was doing something great. He didn't realize he would go down in history and some 2,000 years later, we would be talking about the great thing that he did. I want to give a couple of parallel scriptures before we get into our main text. Matthew chapter 4, or excuse me, 14, verse 14, just One verse, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Aren't you glad that God is moved with compassion and he ministers to us and he sees our needs? And then in Matthew chapter nine, verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him And he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. And now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. We find the same story over in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 1. And after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. People were being healed. And Jesus went up on the mountains, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover 
the feast of the Jews was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, and remember in the previous passage, it says he was moved with compassion, and he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Notice that's a question. He said, where are you going to buy the bread to feed all these people. And he said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denario or 200 days labor worth of bread would not be enough of each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, how the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their field, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now let me point out some awesome truths from this, quest, uh, from this passage. First of all, it was a question that Jesus asked. Jesus asked the question, where are we to buy bread? Notice the disciples didn't address the question. They didn't answer the question. He said, where are you going to get the bread? Where are you going to buy bread? They didn't even address it. That was a question that Jesus answered. Well, what was the answer? What was the answer? I think the answer he was looking for said, Lord, there's not a Walmart. There's not a Publix. There's not a Winn-Dixie. There's not a Costco. There's not a Sam's anywhere around. Where are we supposed to get it? We have to depend upon you. There's no place to buy it. There's no place to mind, but they did not even answer the questions. Now, what was the miracle leading up to? Well, later on the chapter, Jesus tells them, I am what? The bread of life. He was saying, I don't just give bread to keep you alive. I give life. Now, I want you to notice verse 6. Notice verse six, this is something that, was, that just resonated with me. And I was thinking about that, that statement that great people do not think they're great. They just do out, go out and do great things. But it says here in verse six, he says, or, uh, verse six, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. He already knew what he was going to do. Now, this is a great comfort to me. It's also exciting. James Davis, in his book, Faith Book, 
asked this question, and ever since I read it, some of you have said, Pastor, I'm tired of you repeating it. But this is so great when we realize that when Jesus, or excuse me, when uh, Abraham was getting ready to offer his son, Isaac, and it says that God would provide. He said, Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. Well, not only does that, that word mean he provides, but the, Bible, the Latin word from that is he precedes. He knows what he's gonna do. He knows what you need. He knows, and he's asking ourselves the questions, and so many times we don't even answer the question that he asks. We try to get around and do the things that we want done. God knows what we have need of. What does the scripture say? Even before you ask. He knew what he was going to do before he asked the questions. Before he said that, he said, where are you going to get the food? Now, so many times we worry about how God is going to do something. Can I tell you? He already knows. And he does not need your wisdom. We need his. He does not need our power. We need his. He does not need our direction. We need his. The first question we need to ask is not how much will it cost? Is that a good question? Man, that's a good question. How much is it going to cost? That's a good question. But the problem is, we should, don't need to ask that question. We don't even need to ask the question, how's God going to do it? What's our question? God, what do you want to be done? Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, leading up to the Lord's Prayer. Leading up to the Lord's Prayer, he said, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then he proceeds with what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but probably would be better named if we called it the Disciples' Prayer. The Disciples' Prayer. Now this was in the Sermon on the Mount, and everything about this prayer is relational, not possessional. How many knows that so many of our prayer requests is all about possessions? Now there's nothing wrong with praying for possessions. But Jesus gives the example in Matthew chapter 11 when he tells us that the birds know, he knows what the birds needs and he'll take care of them. How much more valuable are you than many, many sparrows? So he says, I know what you have need of. I know what's, uh, what's going to happen. He said, I know what I'm going to do. I think sometimes we need to listen to our prayer request. We list 50 things. Say, God, there's my needs. But don't worry about God, I've got it all figured out. If you will do this 100 things right here, all 50 of those things would happen. Can I tell you that God doesn't need your direction? He knows what he's going to do even before you ask. He knows what your need is even before you ask. He saw that mob of people and he was moved with compassion. Let me tell you something. When he sees your need, he's not concerned about how well-dressed you are or how much money you have in the back. He's moved with compassion. Amen. 
because he sees what you have need of before you even ask. Tonight, we'll be having our annual business meeting. Well, I feel to led to share just a couple of things this morning because we will not be live streaming tonight. But I just want to tell you something. God has been good to Oxford Assembly of God. God has been good. We don't know exactly how much because a lot of our money, I mean, we keep accurate books, but you know, there's a lot of things given that we don't know what's given. I mean, for instance, we give a lot of money to the ministry in Cuba that we don't get recognized from the assembly of God with it because we give that to them direct. But last year, you gave over $400,000 to missions. $400,000, well over $400,000. Now I know some of you say, well, pastor, I know churches give millions. I know, I know. But when you consider, you say that's 400,000, that's not a lot. The first year I was here, we had $66,000 total income for the church. How many knows 400, even inflation's more than 66,000? God has been good to us. During what? During Sunday school this morning, we have at the maximum of one class that's not being used. God is using these facilities. Now, I know you look around and say, well, we're not packed out. I know. But how many believe we're going to be? We're going to be. And during walk and all, and every Sunday, Amanda and the youth group have to set up the gym for youth because the youth room won't hold them. And so they have to set up the gym. Now, I'm not saying this complaining. I'm just telling you, look what God has done. Look what God is doing. And I just want to share this for information. We're in the process of looking at the, uh, of addition and building some educational facilities. We're not going to be put up for a vote. We're not anywhere close to that. We just want you to know what's going on because nothing will be done until you give us the money. <laughs> and nothing will be done until you get a chance to vote on it. But some of you remember when we, before we built this building. Some people just thought, I, I, they were really excited when I got up and said, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we've already got the money to build the building. How many thinks that was exciting? But the bad news, but it's still in your pocket. They did the same thing then. But the amazing thing, God is doing some awesome things. But let me tell you something. He's got more planned than we think. Because if you and I look over the United States of America, if you and I look over our school systems, if you and I look over our borders, if you and I look at our homeless, if you are moved with compassion, don't you think Jesus is? And he knows what he's going to do before he even lets you know. 
before he lets you know. It's an amazing thing that we need to follow God's leading in God's direction. And I love that course I've already quoted. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. But I think we need to kind of upgrade it and say, look what God is doing. Amen. Aren't you excited to see these prayer meetings going on across the nation? It's exciting. I got so frustrated with some of my Christian brothers, and none of, I know you were none of those, but you know when there was a big thing about the guy when he died on the football field, and they brought him back, and people were complaining because they were praying? How many times have we been praying that God, let us pray again? And then when it happened, they get upset. That's ridiculous. Because God knows what we have need of, even even before we ask. Hallelujah. Now look what God did. He knew in advance that that little boy had a lunch. The amazing miracle about this was the little boy gave it. Now it just says he was a young lad. It was probably easier to get from a six-year-old than if he'd have been a teenager. <laughs> if he'd have been a 13-year-old teenager, said, you ain't getting mine. But he was willing to give it. Jesus knew what he was going to do before they even had an idea. Now, years ago... I, I, I read a story this is a long time ago of someone trying to explain this miracle away. How many knows that there's going to be people trying to explain anything? They'll try to explain miracles away. And they were trying to say, well, you know, there was plenty of food there. Everybody had their lunches. But when this one kid gave it up, it made everybody decide to give it up. Hogwash. Jesus would not have been moved with compassion if there had not been a legitimate need. He was moved with compassion. But how many thinks Jesus could have turned the stones into bread? How many thinks he could have reinvented or, or, or restored the falling of manna? He didn't. He didn't. Why? Because there was a little boy that had five loaves. And he was a poor boy. And I don't know if somebody said, what do you mean? How do you know he was a poor boy? Because it was barley loaves. Barley was the cheapest grain. That's the reason when Gideon, remember when they found him, he was threshing the barley? Because barley not only grew in their fields, some of it grew wide, grew wild, excuse me. And do you know what they normally did with barley? They fed it to the animals. It was cow feed. It was horse feed. Whatever it needs, that was their barley. So we know that he was not a wealthy guy. Now, I can relate to this. Some of you can't. But I know growing up when we wanted to have hamburgers, you know what my mom did? She had bread in with the hamburgers. Now, I know some of you said, well, bread goes around the hamburger. Not when you got seven kids, it goes in the hamburger. And when we had salmon patties, we had salmon patties without the salmon. 
Why? Because we couldn't afford salmon. We went out and bought the fish. And mama made it and added biscuits with it and had salmon patties, and they were good. I can guarantee you that this poor boy's fish and bread was good. None of them complained. None of them complained. But that boy was willing to give up his lunch. Now I'm reminded of the words that Mordecai shared with Esther. Now, if you don't know the story, you need to read the book of Esther because Esther was a Jew and there had already begun a move to kill all the Jews and she would have been included in killing them. Even though she was king, queen, a queen, excuse me. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think of yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the Jews. He said, listen, Esther, just because you're queen, I want you to know something. If this edict goes into effect, you're going to be dead. But Mordecai had so much faith. He says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I won't call his name, but a very prominent minister a number of years ago was on national TV and he made a statement that after he made that statement, a good friend of mine approached him and he called him by name. He said, do you know what you said? So what do you mean? Said, you said that if you did not feed all these thousands of children, that it wouldn't get done. And he said, oh, oh I really didn't mean that. He said, yes, you did. But you and I need to know something, church. We need to have the faith of Mordecai. If God doesn't use you, he'll find somebody else that's willing. He'll find some little boy that's ready to give his lunch. He'll find some church that's willing to send missions teams. And I didn't mention I meant to. Our missions team from Cuba got my safe and sound. Had a great trip. We'll hear more about that later. But thank God for what he's doing. But I want you to know something. God don't have to have you. You have to have God. And Mordecai, I told Esther, said, listen, Esther, you're queen. And you may have been placed where you are for just such an hour as this. Now, I want to tell you something. That little boy probably didn't think he was great. But I, went, I guarantee you when he went home and told mama, he was a proud youngin'. Hey, mama, remember that lunch you packed me? Those two little fry hard fish? Now, some of you don't know what that means. See, growing up here in the, in the South, we, we call those little bitty fish that you fried hard enough, you eat bones and all fry hards. I want you to know something. Those were not big chunk bass. They were little fish. And five loaves or five biscuits of barley. 
And he said, guess what, mama? I gave my lust to Jesus. And Jesus fed over 5,000 people with it. Wow. See, some of you think you've got nothing of value to offer God. I said, some of you think you've got nothing of value to offer God. But can you be like the little boy and give it to God because God already knows what he is doing? Now, I think I need to insert this. We're not taking a special offering at the end. This is not about money. That's about giving God the opportunity to do something with what you have. This little boy gave his lunch. Now, what was the purpose behind that question? He says, to test them. He said, I just want to see if you can follow instructions. Now, some of you school teachers, you may have run across this, or maybe some of you other people have. But I remember when I was a kid, back in the dark ages, <coughs> our teacher gave us a test. And didn't give a whole lot of instructions. She said, here, take this and take this test. And, and you know, a classroom of, I think it's probably about fifth grade, everybody was doing stupid stuff. Because that's what the test told them to do. It was doing all this stuff and went all around. And finally, the last sentence of the test. I don't remember anything about the test, but I remember this. The last sentence says, go back and read the first sentence and put your name on the paper. Because the first sentence of the test was, read this test in its entirety before you start. I won't tell you, some of us get all burnt out answering questions that God never asked us. We hear about something. It comes across on Facebook, and you know Facebook can't lie. <laughs> and we go all to pieces and start doing silly things and stupid things and get down to the essence. God didn't answer that question. He did it to test them. And he did that to test them. Now, what was the first question after the question? What's the first statement that after they got the lunch? He had said, have them sit down in order. How many knows that God's a God of order? Now, yes, I'm Pentecostal. I love God. I love for God to do his thing. But I'm going to tell you something. God is an orderly God. Can you imagine trying to have dinner on the grounds with 5,000 people with two, low, two fish and five loaves. I could call some names because I know they'd be at the front of the line. How many knows that's confusion? God says, set them down. Get them in order. And then he took that lunch. Jesus took the lunch. The boys gave it to his disciples. His disciples gave it to Jesus. Jesus took it and he blessed it. And then he says he divided it. 
How many fish? Two. How many disciples? Twelve. It specifically says twelve there. So they had a sixth of a fish apiece. Now, when I went to Israel, they had the fish with the head and all. A sixth of a fish and a wad of bread. I'm looking around to see who's the biggest, meanest looking guy here. It used to be Joe Ray, but he's lost so much weight, it can't say him anymore. But can you imagine God, Jesus, giving Peter a sixth of a fish? And knowing Peter, he wanted to eat it before he got back to the crowd. He wanted to make him a fish sandwich before it's all gone. I can just only picture Peter going over here looking at that big guy with a sixth of a fish and a little bit of bread. But he never ran out. He never ran out. When we bought the old building next door, we borrowed $70,000, paid off the building, and put the $20,000 in account for a building program. Now, I want you to know that that money did not multiply while it's in there. But I can tell you, we never ran out of money. Whenever we finished that building, we still had a few bucks in the kitty. Now, I know somebody said, well, Pastor, you had lots of money before you borrowed it. No, we had to borrow the down payment. Seriously, it's been so long, I don't remember, but my wife and I had an argument. And I don't even remember which side I was on. <laughs> but we either had six or seven dollars in our building fund when we started. Given the benefit of the doubt, even if we had eight dollars. How many knows when you look up to the crowd, carrying that loaves and fish back there to feed them, doesn't look like it's gonna be enough. And see, sometimes you think that what you have is not gonna be enough. The ability that you have is not good enough. I mean, I, I know what my wife and I felt like we were, like we didn't belong. Of all the pastors, there was four pastors from the United States at that meeting last week. The rest of them were great dignitaries. But you know what? I like hanging out with great people. I said, I like hanging out with great people because you know what? They don't think they're great. They just go out and do great things. This little boy didn't think he was anything special. Only thing he did was give what he had. An amazing thing is they gave it out. I think the disciples started out like this, with a little bit in their hand. But somewhere along the line, 
They said, I need a doggy bag. And every one of the disciples had a basket full to take home with them. Now, I don't know if that was literally that they took it home, but it says they had 12 basketfuls left over. Why? Because Jesus knew what he was going to do before he did it. Now, what was the, what was the key? Why, why did he do all that? Well, down in verse 14, I want to read it again. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. We get a lot of recognition here at Oxford, and I thank God for all of it. But I don't need another plaque. I don't need another recognition. I need for people to know that the prophet has come into the world. That as Lee said at the very beginning, that we would see Jesus. That we would see Jesus. And I know some of you say, well, pastor, I can't do anything great. Would you give up your lunch? If God asked you to do that. See, there was another lady that was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Over in the Old Testament. But Jesus brother James tells us that when Rahab she hid those spies and she sent them another way she caused them to change directions I was blessed tremendously a couple months ago when a young man that I think was in our very first Watt program I won't tell you his name, but I can tell you that he would tell you point blank, and his dad would tell you point blank, that he was headed in the wrong direction. And walk changed him. Walk was Rahab to that young man. Changed directions. Jesus shared three stories about things that were lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And at the conclusion of those stories, he sums it up where he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Doing something great. Let me remind you of one other person. He wasn't a great person. As a matter of fact, he was a criminal. And by his own admission, he was worthy of death. Now, I can tell you, I've done enough jail and prison ministry to tell you almost everybody there is innocent. But this man told the other thief, he said, we deserve it. We deserve to die. 
But he made a great choice. The choice was available to two of them. But one thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That man was not great. But I want to tell you, he did something great. Because the greatest thing you'll ever do is turn your life over to Jesus. Have mercy upon me. Forgive me. See, he made the right choice. A number of years ago, Ray Boltz wrote a beautiful song, one of my favorites, and I know, Lee, we have a lot of favorites. But one of my favorites, he said, thank you. The dream went to heaven. You were there with me. Walked along the golden streets beside the crystal sea. Heard someone singing. Someone called my name. I turned and saw a young man, and he was smiling as he came. He said, sir, you may not know me now, but then again, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week when you'd say that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, man had nothing except tell him about Jesus. Then the next verse talks about missions. Talks about giving. Thank you for giving to the Lord. So can I say thank you for giving to the Lord? Thank you for giving yourself And yes, I know I'm a little prejudiced. But Oxford Assembly is not great because I'm the pastor. It's not great because you're the members. It's great because we don't think we're great. We just want to do some great things. And God is not finished with us. I believe the clock is ticking down. I said, I believe the clock is ticking down. But let's determine we may not be great, but let's go out and do some great things for the glory of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity of serving you. Thank you for the joy of giving to you. And God, if you ask us to give our lunch, help us be willing to give it. But whatever you ask of us, let us give with a joyful heart not begrudgingly, but willingly help us to give to you. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Our worship team is going to be leading us in a worship song. 
And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I can't think of a better day today than to give him, not your lunch, but give him yourself. And if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has resonated with you and you would say, Pastor, I want to commit. I want to commit just to do whatever he would want me to do to further his kingdom. And I may never be well known, may never have a lot of money, but help me to do something great for the kingdom. Even if it's just giving somebody's knowledge of how to change directions, God would give you praise for it. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.